Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I am speaking to a legendary composer, Inon Zer, the man behind Fallout, man behind Dragon Age Origins, Prince of Persia, and more. How you doing, sir? Very good, and happy to be with you today, Reese. <laughs> um, it's you know it's a big honor, and you know we're on two sides of the world here, and pretty much, uh, still, you know, I I, I feel uh, right at home. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask, does your name mean anything in Hebrew? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a quite rare name um, in Hebrew. And it means something that will blossom, something that will be remembered. Um, and it's um, it, it came from the Bible. Of course, yeah. Oh, it's, that's always good when you've got a name like that, right? Because you did blossom. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's up to my name, but, uh, you know, we'll take whatever it takes. <laughs> so a uh, good place to start is probably Fallout because you've been working on this franchise for such a long time now. So how do you ensure that you keep every soundtrack distinctive? Well, I would say that let's start from the other way. How can I keep track of like every soundtrack will be cohesive and will be a continuation with the previous ones. Because after all, it is the franchise, it is Fallout. So this is what I am thinking first and foremost about cohesiveness and about more than anything else, continuation. I assume that players that played Fallout 3, you know, um, continued to Vegas, continued to 4, and continued to 76. And we really want to give these players two things. First, the feel of continuation, but development, but also that they're not in a different place. When they will rejoining the franchise, they have the feel of like, okay, we are in somewhat familiar place, but also a, a new place. So this is where I start. And then it is all about the story. It's all about the narrative. It's all about um, what are we talking about? What is the atmosphere? What is the emotions? Music needs to support more than anything else emotions. And uh, for example, Fallout 3 was very dark. So I employed a lot of dark um, instrumental palettes um, in Fallout 4. You know, it was a very personal story. So the piano actually ruled. Uh, Vegas was somewhat Wild West. So there were a lot of um, elements that were twangy and a bit bizarre. And 76 was the hope of, you know, renew um, the world. So in 76, I actually employed more of orchestral sound. Um, so again, everything in the in the realm of fallout but each one each game each soundtrack is being um influenced but by the narrative and the story ah right do you write the theme songs first usually usually or yes we yeah. will um this is the first thing we traditionally will engage in and the reason is that the theme song not only the melody, but also the instrumentation will dictate uh, what 
will be coming later. It sort of like serves us as the palette maker, if you will, uh, for the whole game, the benchmark. What what are we looking for in terms of soundscape, musical soundscape? Right, right. Because do you give, does the uh, studio give you much direction or do they kind oh. of just let you do your own thing? It's a great question. Um, specifically working with Todd Howard and Mark Lampert, um, for the main theme, it's not that they're giving me direction, but usually we have a lot of discussions before I even start writing. Um, usually in normal times, I'll travel and I'll stay and, and you know spend a few days with them over there. We'll play some of the game usually the game is far 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 from being developed at this point but the story is already there and we will have a discussions and sometimes the discussions are very detailed um for example like in fallout 4 um after we went you know i heard the story i saw some of the images and we're talking 2000 fallout 4 was out in 2016 and i'm talking about 2012 when i was there in the, you know and starting to talk about um stuff i mean you know usually i am being brought to the games of bethesda about four to five years before they're out sometimes even more um so we were talking about it, and then I told Todd, you know what, this totally sounds to me like a piano could do great with the story. And this is how the idea of the piano, which is so iconic for the Fallout 4 uh, soundtrack, um, was born. So this is just an example of how things are uh, working. Right. But you wouldn't be writing the soundtrack from that period, from the first discussions, right? Would that be closer to the middle or the No, end? actually, I will start from there. I started right away. Really? And I started developing um, themes and I started devel developing ideas. And these games are humongous. Um, and, you know, so, and it takes time for them to be developed. So every year we cover a different area of the game. So I will write you know, quite a lot of music every year that comes to cover, you know, a certain part of the game. So, yes, of course, we started in 2012, you know. Wow. Okay. But doesn't, as, as time goes on, development changes, right? So you could be looking at, say, a visual, and then maybe a year later that visual looks different? Yes. And we are making adjustments as we go. Um but the interesting thing is uh, the way Bethesda is working is we're feeding off each other. And, for example, the artists that's just starting to draw parts of the game are listening to my musical ideas the way I'm looking at, you know, some concept arts and ideas. And just by feeding off each other, um, the development uh, becomes very organic and natural. Um, since we're just going side by side rather than everything is done and then I'm being thrown in and try to basically comp what they already have there. Right. I see what you mean. 
Because I know you have, well, you're known in the industry as being a very fast composer because you can compose quite quickly, can't you? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are you able to do that and still maintain quality? Training. A lot of training. Everything is training. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I like my basic training was between uh, 94 to or 95 to 2001 when I worked at the Fox Family Channel creating tons of music for Power Rangers and Beetleborgs and all these shows and when I came in um, these shows were very sort of like the, the score style was kind of like rock and very light score behind and I sort of like brought more of the orchestral palette and they say, all right, that sounds great, but you need to do like seven to eight minutes a day because we need to spew out one to two episodes a week. So doing that for five, six years definitely will get your chops up and down and you're like becoming like a, you know, a scoring machine, shall we say. Yeah, because the, the system in which you score for, say, film and television is different to video games, right? Because usually with film and television, it, it's very, very tight in terms of deadlines. But exactly. But a bit more yeah. space with video games, too. A lot more space. Um, and um, that's why in many cases, the music that is being composed for video game is more concise, homogeneous, um, and well thought after because it takes us long time or longer time to develop and also the music is not being written to picture it is written um to an idea or to a map or to some sort of like a scenario within the game and you need to cover that so it's almost going back to the old way of composing you're composing a whole music piece that has an introduction, you're introducing an idea, then you're developing the idea, you're making some recapitulations of the idea, you're making ending, and there you go. This, by the way, also is why it is so easy to put together video game concerts, because the cues are basically almost like ready to be performed, you know, oh. like a musical piece. Right, right. That actually makes a lot of sense. Do you think you'd refer, um, go back to film and television at any point, or are you kind of fully Im immersed yourself in um, in video games? Video game is what I'm known for. Yeah. And this is why, you know, people that are creating video games are coming to me, and people that are, you know, doing movie truck, you know, movies are not coming to me. Um, if I'd, I will have an opportunity to score a TV show or a film, yeah, if I'll have time, you know, definitely, possibly, I will, I will do it. It's a different thing. And, you know, every change is somewhat exciting. And, but after all, music is music. And I'm ready to contribute to any project that is very interesting for me. Mm, mm. With uh, Microsoft acquiring uh, Bethesda, has that changed your day-to-day work at all like no not no. at the moment um and uh, i think that uh, at least till now it seems like microsoft has a lot of trust in bethesda to you know perform the way they expect them to perform 
So we don't see much influence on my level yet. Yeah. I suppose that's just a wait and see, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So you must have a very good relationship with Todd, with Bethesda at this point. Do you kind of put it out to them that you'd want to do a specific project, like the next Outer Scrolls, for example? Let's put it this way. They will come to me and tell me what they want me to do. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they have a lot of trust in me. And they definitely gave me a lot of opportunities and keep on giving me great opportunities. Hmm. Do you ever chase a project though, or do you always get these uh, jobs as as a result um, of people no, approaching like, you? No, in, in different scenarios, not with Bethesda. Uh, if there is a project that is interesting to me, I will definitely try to chase it. And many times, sometimes I'll get it, sometimes no. Uh, I'm not working only with Bethesda, so um, I, I, my relationships with Bethesda are very unique because we've been working together for so many years. Um, but I do work with other people in the industry. Some of them are new. Some of them are new to me. Um, and it's, it's always interesting to see how things are developing. For example, um, Outriders uh, that just came out last month was the first time I'm working with Square Enix and people can fly. You know, it was a great experience, an extremely different project than the projects that I'm working with Bethesda. So again, you know, these things, uh, opportunities are being presented and, um, you know, and sometimes I got to chase it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So how did the whole opportunity come up to do Dragon Age Origins? With Dragon Age Origins, it started in a very traditional way. There was a bid, there was um, a demo to be submitted right and um you know i like um other composers i submitted my demo and lucky enough it got accepted and had chosen and not only that it became the main theme for dragon age so it's it's a rare occasion these things not happening every time but they do happen from time to time mm. Did it change much from the initial demo? Um, actually, no. Um, I must say that um, when I worked with uh, then the audio director, Simon Pressey, on only on the demo and presented it to him, and he liked it, and I didn't know if I was chosen to do it, but I've decided that I really want to make it sound as good as I can so I actually sponsored and recorded live orchestra for it. Including the choir? Including, um, not the choir, but Aubrey Ashburn, of course, who right. was a big part of it. And um, strings, brass, you know, whatever was needed. And this is how I presented the demo for them, even before I knew that they even got the gig. Wow. And, you know, and little did I know that after that, this became the main theme for Dragon Age. Yeah, so when do you decide to stick with orchestra and when do you go synthetic with synthetic instruments? When you work on a video game, it's a lot of um, teamwork. 
and you discuss um, the musical ideas with the audio director as many times with the producer. And they will weigh in. Some of them know a lot about music. Some of them don't know anything about music. But I could gauge what they're looking for. They can also send me some examples. But it really, really depends on the type of the game. I mean, what we have at our disposals are tons of um, musical tools from the orchestra through the ethnic instruments and to all the synthetic elements. In many, many cases, I'm combining all of them. Actually, almost every time I'm combining some elements from each of these worlds. However, some scores are way more um, orchestral heavier, like, for example, um, um, Elder Scrolls uh, Blades, um, you know, which was very, very, very orchestral. Um, and some um, scores, like Outriders, um, are, you know, very, very synth and sound design oriented, or with Fallout, which is somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Mm. Makes sense. So with the I am the one uh, main theme with Dragon Origins, right? Say with the choral choral music, mm-hmm. do you write the language? Like, do you make up a language? Yeah, we actually, you know, that's that was like the beginning of like us deciding, um, uh, let's just make up a language. Uh, it has so many um, advantages to it. First, uh, from legal point of view, you don't need to really translate it to anything, okay? And anybody could think whatever they want about it, but this is our language. The second thing is like, really, since people don't really understand what we say there, they could imagine what we say there. And sometimes it's a more powerful tool than really tell them what we're singing about. We really want them to feel what we're singing about. Um, Also, there's big advantage to it because when you come up with a language specific for a song, if you have the melody, you could actually carve the syllables to fit best with the melody. Something that you cannot really do with, you know, sort of like official lyrics, which are whatever they are, and it's harder to work with them. Here, the language is almost part or, 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 or something that is coming out of the music rather than you write lyrics, you write melody, and then you put them together. So the process is very different. Um, and you have to remember that we are creating... Um, sort of like an ancient, mysterious, almost like, you know, Middle Earth world, okay? And coming up with this kind of language that has a bit of like Celtic, you know, sounds in it and this kind of things, but it's not that, is so powerful to portray the world we're in. Yeah, so with with those uh, choral sounds, though, do you kind of have a plugin that you use to kind of test it out first before you actually get them 
No, I mean, when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to Dragon Age, Aubrey and I were sitting here and we were just basically conjuring whatever you want and trying to select, oh, okay, that sounds good. All right, go and record it. All right, great. You know, let's go back. Let's see. It's like, all right, that doesn't sound that's, you know so good. Let's change it. So basically it's all like, again, work in progress. <laughs> right, right. So a lot of back and forth with it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you ever get writer's block at all, or you always have some sort of melody or something that you can work with? I mean, you know, sometimes I, I, my I, I'm not crazy about my ideas, and sometimes I think my ideas are are better. Sometimes you know the process is faster. Sometimes I'm getting not stuck, but like I'm thinking what can work best specifically when it comes to like a whole new project then it takes time to develop and i just need to go and do some research and listen to some music and get inspired and get myself in a new state of mind to write um something that will be unique for this project so at the time that when i'm already inside a project then every cue sort of like almost like bring itself out because I already wrote many cues that are in the realm. So it's easier to come up with them. Hmm. Cause I, I can imagine you can sometimes be in your musical headspace. You're crafting something. You think it sounds amazing. And then you go away, you come back a day later and you're like, Oh, I don't like this. Does that, does that happen? It definitely happens, and sometimes the other way around. Sometimes I do something, and mm, I'm not sure about it. Then I'm coming back maybe after an hour. So it's like, well, you know, actually, it, it does sound pretty good. So, yes, you see things in a different way, and sometimes it does help, if you're not really sure, to put it aside for an hour or even a day, and then revisit it, and then see, because it opens a different ideas um sometimes you just don't have the luxury of time to do it you just need to write it and send right away obviously you gotta remember that you know the people who receive the music are the ones that you know will decide if this fits or no and what you know do i need to do some a different music or do i just need to fix stuff or they just love it as is so as I said, it's a lot about teamwork. Mm. Now, I couldn't have you on a Kiwi show and not ask you about Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how did how did that project come about? Um, again, this was, if I remember, because it was a few years ago, um, it could have been, uh, again, a demo situation or something like that. Oh, actually... No, I'll tell you how this came about. Now I remembered. Actually, it's a great story. Okay. So, so, so get that. Um, so Warner Brothers um, are creating Lord of the Rings: War in the North music. I mean, I mean, uh, game, and they have decided to use Howard Shore's score as their score, which is an Oscar-winning score, and it's an amazing score, and. They started basically placing the music inside the game. And they said, well, 
it's nice, but maybe we should bring a composer to sort of help us fit the music better in the game. And then they decided to go to me because I was, you know, like known as an orchestral composer who knows a thing or two about, you know, games that are like um, Dragon and Dungeon games and this kind of stuff. So the style fit. Uh, so I'm being brought on board and I'm listening to the music and the music is great and the game looks great, but they don't work well together mm. because the music fits great uh, to the movies. It's very, it's huge. It's cinematic, but it doesn't move as strong, fast, furious, and, and, and accommodating the tempo and the energy of the game. And that was their problem. And I said to them, can I write a piece of music um, that for the same scene, and it'll be totally based on what Howard Shore is writing, not on the themes, but the orchestral palette is going to be the same and everything will sound from the same place, but the energy and the ideas will be different. And I did it. And he placed it and it's like, you know what? It does work better. Um, let's try another one. Little by little, they start to get rid of all the shore music and replaced it with mine. And then I ended up like writing like two and a half or three hours of music for this game and nothing basically from the shore um, music remained in the game not because it's not great, it's amazing, but it just did not fit this actual game. But you see sometimes how things are working out. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Were you were you tempted to include like little kind of references to the Lord of the Rings films? Or were you just totally dedicated to doing a completely original score? From a melodic point of view, um, we kept away from the actual themes because they're so iconic. But the ideas, the way I used brass, the way I used percussions, the way I used the strings, the way I basically used the whole thing is if you listen to my score and you put it side by side um, with Shore's score, you will see that there's so many things that are being, that are resembling, you know, and, um, Definitely, I did not try to create something totally new. I took his ideas and just move it in the steps, not up, not down, just sideways, mm-hmm. you know, and something that will fit better with the actual game. Yeah. So, did you actually have to listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack to kind of get? Oh, yeah. I listened yeah, yeah. a lot like to it. On, on loop. Uh, well, not a loop, but definitely <laughs> I, I listen to it a lot. And if you'll see, if you'll hear my Rivendale music and the choral music that I wrote for Lord of the Rings, and you'll hear the choral music that Shore wrote, you will hear a lot of resemblance and, you know, and, and, and so many similarities um, in the choice of harmonies, you know, again, it's not about copying it. It's just doing things in the same spirit. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, do you prefer to write the big 
lavish pieces or do you prefer to write ambient pieces? Do you have like a specific style that you like to particularly not write? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. I would say that I like to engage myself in new ideas. I like to engage myself in elements that I did not tackle before. Um, I like to feel that what I'm creating works and supports uh, best the story of the game, the emotions behind behind the games. And I like to explore and find ways to bring them uh, to life in a, um, shall we say, different or original way. Um, let's face it, you know, Hollywood has a very, very specific sound and style, especially the AAA movies. Um, they all share you know, similar palettes. This is the nature of the beast. Um, when I'm writing score for different games, I am aware of that. And I'm aware, especially if it is a blockbuster game, that people will expect some of it. Uh, but I always try to find um, different angles, different sounds, different elements um, that will create an original content or something that will be like, okay, we did not hear this before or something like that. Hmm. So when you, when you did Prince of Persia, for example, were you able to tap into a lot of um, ethnic instruments and ethnic oh, sure. motives? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Prince of Persia is all about, you know, ethnicity and, you know, it's yeah, the fun yeah. of it. Of course, of course. And being uh, Israeli yourself, were you able to kind of tap into anything linked to that? For like sure, for yeah. sure. I, you know, I grew up in Israel. In Israel, I mean, it's a mishmash of um, influences because um, a lot of people from Israel, um, actually their family came from Eastern Europe and from Western Europe, and but some people came from the Middle East also. So Israel is a big melting pot. Um, but um, growing up in Israel definitely um, gave me a lot of um, ideas and inspirations about Middle Eastern music, Middle Eastern instruments, Middle Eastern modes, um, you know, rhythmic patterns, all of that I was already quite familiar with. So when I tapped into Prince of Persia, all I had to do is take these ideas and and sort of like draw the orchestra around it yeah because are there specific genres that you're probably not too familiar with and then you have to go away and kind of research those genres to kind of tap mm -hmm. into them mm -hmm. yeah of course i mean and i'm learning all the time <laughs> different styles and different you know like for example like in japan there are different areas and each area in Japan, actually, they have like different modes. Um, and we tend to think about like Japanese music as something that, oh, okay, so this is the koto and this is like the taikos and the daikos and um, all these instruments and stuff. And yes, they would use these instruments, but the modes are different from area to area. And I just learned it yesterday, for example. Oh, really? On a, on a project that I'm just currently working on. So, I, I mean, you know, so I love 
to um, discover these, um, you know, things because it's just enriching my musical palette and ability and and the way ideas are being born. Hmm. Is there any project that you haven't worked on or a specific genre that you'd like to work on that you haven't yet? I really, really would love to tap in and doing a project, a jazz project. Like, for example, oh. like, a, you know, I'm like a Bond freak, but I never really worked on a James Bond game or a movie. This is something that I'd love to do. But regardless, you know, anything that has to do with the 40s, with the 50s, like film noir, these kind of things that has a lot of like jazz into it. I did not do this. Um, and I would really love to do this because I, I really love jazz. <laughs> well, there's bound to be some more 007 games at some point. So I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, you... Well, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, time will tell. Yeah, I'm sure you know a few people that might be able to pull a couple of strings. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in regards, when you're writing an ambient piece, because usually yes. with ambient pieces, I would think less is more, right? And like, say with like uh, parts of Fallout. Right. Are you kind of trying to make it as minimalist as possible? Yeah, but minimalism is something that is is minimalism is a way of thinking. It's not how many instruments you're putting down or or or, or playing or not how many notes you're playing. Um, minimalism is basically to take an idea and strip it down to the sort of like bare essential. Um, to the root of it. Um, and because this is the most accessible um, element that people could really get without being distracted. And this is sort of like the secret behind um, ambient music. It's not about like, all right, so I'll just take one instrument and I'll play one note. Mm. No, some ambient music could be made out of huge orchestra. It's the way you actually use the idea. And if you really use a simple idea that is not something that grabs you on one hand, but on the other hand puts you right where you want the player to be, um, without stating any big statements um then this is sort of like the really go-to ambient music i will do and it definitely takes craft to do that because you got to understand the essence of how to how to do it and you need to come to it from the point of view of the listener not the composer Hmm. Do you get royalties for your music? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Good man. Um, it's uh, the thing is this. One of the problems, obviously, uh, all these years with computer game music, that since it is not um, airing anywhere, um, like, um, you know, um, 
societies like BMI, ASCAP could not really track it. And that's why we were, as um, game composers, we were very uh, deprived from royalties. So there are two things. First, I'm also writing a lot of um, other music for um, trailers, for example. I'm doing like big movie trailers, um, the music for this, and this is also generating royalties. But more and more games are streaming, and when game is streaming, there is a way to track the music. Um, there are some new agreements um, that allow us to receive royalties. So, you know, I mean, do I get royalties, you know, if if I would be, you know, in the same stature that I am in games, like in TV or movies, I would get tons way more royalties. <laughs> but, you know... Um, but it's starting to come and it's starting to um the system is starting to adjust slower than faster i would say but it somewhat's moving in the right direction well streaming's still relatively a new model right it's still totally kind of, yeah it's still in its yeah infancy. everything you know and unfortunately since uh the whole royalties system is such an um intricate and complicated system um so they really finding it hard to modify it and to change it and to adjust it to the ever-changing media um they just like to do things the way they used to do it because this is what works and in order to change the system it just takes immense amount of work because how you track it, you know, how much you pay for it, everything. It's just crazy, and I don't blame them. But on the other hand, um, we would like to be rewarded for what we're doing, and we would like to be appreciated also for what we're doing, and part of it is, uh, you know, um, is royalties. Yeah, because I used to work for a company here in New Zealand that, uh, distributed royalties mm -hmm. and it's a very complicated system because basically every country has their own kind of I don't really want to say company but a, an entity of some kind that arranges yeah, for it's a societies yeah and yeah that distributes the, the royalties exactly they're connected yeah um, each country has their own and they're all connected with one each other since it's enough that you will be you know associated with a member of one you know um you know association um you know to receive um royalties from all the other entities it takes time it takes years sometimes yeah because i think <laughs> i think be patient yeah because isn't in, in america doesn't it take 18 months i think for them 12 months or 18 you months? know usually for what is airing in in the united states but um outside of the united states you could see royalties between two years to four or five years. Oh know. my gosh. Well, yeah, completely, no, it, takes, it takes time. Yeah, you completely forget about it by that point, right? So you're Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the beauty of this payment. Hey, <laughs> yeah. look at what I got. You, know? <laughs> you check your bank account and there's some money there. Exactly. And initially, uh, you're probably like, what's this? And then you go on and you work out, find out. Yeah, and, you, and, you, and you, when you look at the statement, it's like, wow, I don't believe that this thing just you know aired. And the, the beauty of, of it is, 
you know, these cues are actually being circulating throughout the whole world and being distributed throughout the whole world. So, you know, one year you'll get it from the Netherlands, but then from the UK and then from Japan and then from Korea. And, you know, you never know when this specific cue was played there. And so I, again, that's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great. It's great. It's like having a, a pay rise of some sort. It, 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 it's it's definitely something that we as artists um it's a system that we are you know we are very much blessed to have a side of us because as you know many people uh you know they get busy but then they don't get busy and they need income um and the world needs to keep on respecting them although they currently are not that busy but in the past it created something that mattered for people and this is the way to show artists that you care for them mm. you pay them royalties because do you work on one project at a time i'd imagine it's sometimes no, be overlap um, no there are lots of overlaps i usually work on four to five projects at the same time oh my gosh <laughs> yeah but you know because of the uh, developing cycle is so slow um i can afford doing that because i mean i'll be I don't need to like compose a game in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I have well, years sometimes years to do it. So, well, that yeah, I suppose that's good in a way, and, and it allows you to stay fresh, particularly if you're working on projects which have uh, a different feel to them, right? So, say it is really great to have it because it just you know it gives you it throws you between worlds, and it really gives you some refreshment between and you're not basically being locked inside the same project again and again and again so it's it's actually really helping from a creative point of view do you have to keep like a diary or something though so you you don't lose track <laughs> of what you're working on <laughs> um you know it's it's um i i do have my systems um <laughs> you know that uh, to track but is it easy no <laughs> <laughs> and into like when you're creating a melody, what, what's your process? Do you sit there? Do you and do something on keys? Do you think of an idea in your head? Are you humming something? It's changing, you know, from time to time. But the keyboard is sort of like my go-to things, and I'll sit next to the keyboard and I will think about and 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 the. Train of thought and the way things are being happening today after so many years of doing the same thing, I don't really think about the process anymore. The process just happens. Um, but the way it works is like you think there is like what you're writing for brings some kind of ideas um, that inspire some maybe um musical touches and you start with that when i'm thinking about that what do i think about um and when i think about it what do i hear and can i play it and if yes what would that be so if i had to translate slowly what is going on you know in my mind but when you will see me start, you know, just noodling on the piano, this is what's happening. And eventually there's something coming out. 
Because a lot of people don't realize as well is that you kind of have to do multiple mixes, don't you, when you're composing for a video game? Because there might be, like, let's say if you're doing an album, like if you're doing an actual CD, there'd be the mm-hmm. CD mix, then there's the actual game mix, and there might be yeah, different Yeah, we're, you know, many times, to... like, for example, we would like um, music uh, that is going for soundtrack to be between two to three or four minutes, but we cannot really put, like, a one-minute cue. So sometimes I'll take, like, two or three cues that's sort of, like, related, and I'll edit them together, you know. Um, sometimes... Um, you know, the mastering will be different. So, but as I said, when you write music for computer games, again, unlike films, you need to write complete cues, complete musical piece. And that's why in many cases, these things just fit right in and you don't need to do anything. You know, they're just there. Because do you have to work in conjunction with, I suppose, a sound team or some type of audio team that implements it in the right sections? Or do you actually handpick where specific pieces? No, no. I mean, the way most of the games that I'm working on is like they are asking for specific cues or a specific map. I'll get descriptions. I'll get anything I need, but then I write it. But as far as implementation, the audio director of the company will do it. I will never have time to do this. This is like a whole, you know. <laughs> have you have you ever sat in and watched what they do? Oh, yeah. No, of course. Many, many times. And I'd love to weigh in and to see, you know, but uh, since COVID, it's just like you cannot really go anywhere. Yeah, after, yeah. You know, after COVID, I'm sure that I'll go back because I love sitting with other directors and watch what they're doing, watch them play the game with my music, weigh in tell them what i think this this is this is really when the real magic happens you know when you fit the music with the right scene um so i you know this is really great for me to be um to witness that every time yeah because i've always found that stuff fascinating and how they implement it i mean is it a simple drag and drop do they have to implement a certain uh, it's really code. see it's really really um depends um in open world games when you're exploring sometimes you'll just play a piece of music that will fit the area but sometimes during uh combats they're going to use different parts of the music and different layers of the music to enhance what's going on so let's say that you're fighting only like few people then they will play like only like the percussion stems and then more people are coming then they will enter like you know one more sham and like when you're fighting a whole army then they will basically bring the whole queue so sometimes you need to deliver different elements from the queue so it will give them enough flexibility to work you know the music inside so it's sound cohesive and um and and you know it will fit the best Mm. do you have to artificially extend a piece to loop it so they're able to loop it when they put it in game or do they do that on their own you just create the piece when i'm composing music if i know that this music needs to loop then i definitely keep it in mind and i will end the piece i everything could happen in the middle but I will end the piece as close as I can to the beginning 
where I need to be looped. So the loop is going to be seamless. In many cases, this is what I need to do. You know, so it's a matter if you compose it right, then you're going to a journey and then you basically go back and it, it'll play again. And it, But it'll feel very cohesive. It'll feel very organic and natural when it comes back. Yeah, because sometimes it because be, you prepared it this way. Yeah, because there might be a musical piece, right, where you do an intro, and then there's the main body of the piece. But then when mm-hmm. the piece loops, it doesn't actually loop back at the intro; it loops no, back to no, the body piece. Loop. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is so, what we do for many, many times. Okay, so you guys actually have to ensure that that part will be seamless in terms of how it loops, so there's no clipping or clicking of any kind. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. These, these are Ah, I've always wondered that. It was fascinating stuff. Cool. Well, hey, I'll I'll probably wrap up there. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, of course, Reese. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, you know, um, uh, you know, and uh, thank Ken for um, referring us to one each other. And uh, you know, we can't uh, wait to see your piece coming to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Support and on. Go listen to all his music if you haven't. He is truly amazing. Very, very thank div- you so much. Very diverse composer. Well, thank you so much, and again, a big honor to be on your show. And I can't wait to share with uh, the fans the new stuff that I'm working on. Cool. Likewise. All right, that's the show, everyone. Stay safe. 